Y'all want more candy? I don't have any. If you caught candy, raise, raise your candy up. Raise it up. Come on. Oh, wait a minute. A lot more candy went out than that. Raise your hand if you got candy. Non-Christians. All right, if you're holding up your candy, throw it at somebody else. Yeah, just toss it. Yeah, we need more candy. All right, good. I suppose you don't need me to tell you what today is. Yeah, that's right. It is Reformation Day. Happy Reformation Day, everybody. I'm going to make a confession. I am not a huge fan of Halloween. Not for the reasons you may think. It's not because it's evil or devilish or anything. Though I did go to a fundamentalist Christian school in the DFW area where we were taught that we we did not mention Halloween, and we were told if we played Dungeons and Dragons, we would go straight to hell. So um, my deal with Halloween isn't about it being evil. I just think it's a trashy holiday. So I know. Down the street from me for several years was a house that they had every conceivable Halloween blow-up, and they put it in their lawn. And during Halloween season, I intentionally drove another way because I didn't want to have to see it. So I tried to uh, lead my children in a different direction, and it didn't work. But I'm going to show you what happened. What is uh, Reformation Day? 505 years ago, the year 1517, a series of events were launched that eventually has, among other things, led to all the variety of Christian denominations and Christian traditions that we have around us. And that was especially sparked by this monk named Martin Luther. He was a a German. He was a Catholic. Um, and some things he did sparked a what's called the, the Protestant Reformations that have led to the divided state of Christianity that we have before us today. Now, you see Martin Luther's haircut there, uh, the one where he's got the hair ring around him. That's called a tonsure. He had this haircut when he was a Catholic monk. And so when I was telling my kids when they were young, hey, what if instead of Halloween... We celebrate Reformation Day. And they said, oh, yeah, let's do that. How do we do it? Well, my son, um, Tyler, had this little monk suit that he had gotten at a dollar store or something. And um, I said, you know, you could be Martin Luther when he was an Augustinian monk, and we could shave a tonsure in your hair. And he said, yeah, let's do it. So my girls had these dress-up dresses that they owned that were really from a century later, but I said, hey, you know, you can be Katerina von Bora, the woman that Luther eventually marries, and you can be, I just made up some stuff. And so they dressed up like this and came up to one of my classes to serve cookies. They were so proud of it at the time. I want to show you Tyler. (laughs) Some of you know my son Tyler, who's a freshman. Tyler, stand up and let us acknowledge your tonsure. I tried to get him to do it again just for old time's sake today, and he did not. (laughs) 
We actually, I put a headband around him, and I just shaved everything that wasn't headband. It was fantastic. The one you see with him facing you, that's actually just part of a larger picture that had my daughters in it. And my daughter, Anna, who's in our Avila program right now, threatened me with my very life if I showed that picture of her. So I promised I wouldn't show it in chapel. But everybody has a price. And so if you want to see that picture, I can be bribed. (laughs) So 1517, um, I want you to to hear me carefully here because this is going to sound like I'm disparaging the Roman Catholic Church. That is not my intent. And at this time, the only real church going in the West was the Roman Catholic Church, and it had been for centuries. And in the 1400s leading up to the 1500s, this was a really dark time in Catholic history, and any uh, Catholic theologian and historian will admit the same thing. This, we, all of our groups, all of our Christian groups have had low points, right? This, is, this was one of the low points for the Catholic Church. A lot of um, corruption, morally, politically, and in every other way. Uh, Just two days ago, my daughter Anna was in Rome and sent me a picture of St. Peter's Basilica at the Vatican. A marvelous structure, has the Sistine Chapel attached to it. A lot of that was funded through some pretty despicable means. And um, now I'm really glad it's there so that we can go visit it. But one one of the ways that that was funded was the Catholic Church was doing what's called selling indulgences. Uh, They had the idea that in the afterlife you could go to this place called purgatory in which you through the centuries made your way from lower levels to higher levels and eventually you got out of this place of um, uh, the state of being purified so that you could go and be with the Lord. And my point isn't to talk about uh, about purgatory today. I'm just talking about how they funded this thing. So they, the, the Roman Catholic Church decided they could sell these indulgences to people and say, hey, if you give us money, we'll pray for your Uncle Joe who's in purgatory, and you know how bad he was. You can, you know, you can speed this up for Joe. And so they were making money off of popular superstition. And so um, Martin Luther, as a Catholic, like many other Catholics at his time, were, he was calling for reform. We've got to do something differently. The church has become quite corrupt. So in 1517, he posts what are called the 95 Theses. He wrote 95 Theses that he intended. I have to say this, too. I I can't say that without telling you this brief story. I had a friend who was a youth minister. And every year, every summer, he would take his youth group around to some of the older people's homes in their church. And... uh, he would just want them to listen to the stories of the old, older people. And so they went to this older woman's house one day, and she said, you know what the problem is with you young people? You don't know your history. You don't know things like Martin Luther nailing his theses to the door. And one girl in there said, ooh, gross. So we're not, I, maybe I shouldn't have told that story. We're, we're talking about theses here. He wrote a thesis 95 of them. He's calling for public debate. He wasn't trying to split the church. He was wanting to have a sustained argument. And um, if, you go on the, if you're going on the Germany trip with me and Josh Sauerwein, we're actually going to go to the, the church where this happened in, in Wittenberg. 
So uh, what happened is it sparked a huge debate. This had been coming for a long time. Martin Luther's nailing of these theses was just the straw that broke the camel's back. And before long, you had a church in turmoil. And you had um, eventually Martin Luther being kicked out of the church as a heretic. And for the very first time in Western history, you had another option besides the one church. And it wasn't long before that split begat another split, begat another split, and that has kept going until our own time. Martin Luther started off really well. He was trying to be civil, call for civil discourse, but before long, both sides had devolved into really nasty rhetoric and debate. I'm going to give you some examples from things that Luther said in the course of his writings after he had uh, after he was done with the Catholic Church and had kind of started the Lutheran movement. These are ones that I can say in public. Just some examples. He would call his opponents snot noses. This is my favorite one. There you are, like butter in sunshine. I would not dream of judging, of judging or punishing you except to say that you were born from the behind of the devil. Probably shouldn't have said that one either. You seem to me to be a real masterpiece of the devil's art. See what a pious hypocrite and unproductive weed you are. You are a toad eater and a fawner. Not the epitome of civil discourse. When I first started teaching the Reformations to Bible majors years ago, I read some choice excerpts from Luther, and they started showing up on the bathroom stalls, so I quit reading them. One of the things I want you to hear from this history is that seeds of vitriolic rhetoric, when planted, can become um, weeds of wild division. Be careful. Be careful how you use your words with those who disagree with you. It might surprise you to learn that even among the faculty at LCU, we disagree sometimes and we disagree about some important things. I disagree mightily with President McDowell. He's a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. It's unthinkable. It's unchristian. <laughs> but I wouldn't stand up in public and say, you know, to, with, with him here, uh, President McDowell, have you seen the Pittsburgh Steelers record lately? Two and six? I wouldn't make fun of him or point out that the Cowboys are the direct inverse, six and two. I wouldn't do that. And if I want him to know about this chapel talk, I'll tell him. But the point is, the point is that those seeds of nasty rhetoric created some things that nobody at the time would have dreamed possible. Now, through the centuries... These different Christian groups that began splintering like crazy um, were very hostile to each other at times. Now, I'm, I'm proud to say that in the 20th century, we started seeing a shift toward greater unity among these Christian groups. But we're not there yet. I want, if you are Christian, I want you to care about Christian unity. It matters. And I'm not talking about cheap unity. I'm not talking about something like this. 
all these creatures that shouldn't be lying down together are and how cute and cuddly it is. I'm not talking about us just saying, ah, let's not talk about our differences. Big group hug. That's just thoughtless tolerance. That's not real unity. Our groups, our various Christian groups, are in a state of of division. Some of those divisions are over petty and stupid things, and may God forgive us all for those things. Some of those differences are more substantial, have greater theological underpinnings to them. We shouldn't just ignore those. We should talk about them. We should even argue about them. If we don't care enough enough to argue about them, then they're not that important. But what we can do is treat each other with kindness and really desire and seek unity with each other. On the last night of Jesus' life, as it's reported in the Gospel of John, listen to these words. Of all the things that Jesus could have chosen to use as his last words, he chooses this prayer that takes up most of John 17. He spends a good bit of time praying for his disciples who've been with him along his journey of mission. And now he prays a prayer for us, those of us who follow Christ. Listen to this prayer. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Christian unity is one of the powerful ways that we demonstrate the truth of the gospel. And our division stands opposed to the gospel. And so we must pray this prayer with Jesus. We don't make unity. Unity is a gift from God, but we should pray for it, and we should open ourselves to it. I want you to commit, if you're a follower of Jesus, to find those who think differently than you, And be willing to be kind, be willing to listen, be willing to take each other seriously as you discuss your differences. I want to end with a little exercise here. I made note of some of the more, uh, some Christian traditions, denominations that we might have among us. And if you would, I would like you to stand if you are in the tradition whose name I call. We're not going to shame anyone. We just want to see who is among us. We have a variety of people among us. All right. Lutherans. Do we have any Lutherans among us? Thank you. Do we have? Thank you. Oh, we got another. Good. Now they're standing up. All right. That's right. All right. Baptists. Stand up. Okay. Thank you. All right. Sit down. Catholics. Do we have any Catholics among us? All right. Thank you. You may be seated. Presbyterians. All right. There we go. About four of you. Good. Methodists. Okay. Methodists all sit on that side. Interesting. You know Jesus' parable about the sheep and the goats. 
I said, I'm not going to say anymore. Episcopalians or Anglicans? Nobody? This might be a good time for an Episcopalian joke. All right. Assembly of God or any of the churches that you would locate within the Pentecostal or charismatic traditions? Would you stamp? All right. Thank you. Any, I don't expect we'll have any here, but any Orthodox Christians from Greek Orthodox? Oh, we have one. Excellent. Glad to have you. You don't always see that in West Texas, so you're welcome here. Church of the Nazarene. Okay. Disciples of Christ or Christian Church? Got one? Good. Oh, we got another one? Oh, we also have a Nazarene that just waved her hand back there. Yeah, Maddie. Do we have any Mennonites with us? Okay. Thank you. Church of Christ. All right, be seated. You might expect that. We're at a Church of Christ school, right? Non-denominational Christians or Bible church. All right. Here's what I would like to do. You see that we are varied here. I would like us all, if you're willing to, to stand and let me lead us in a prayer that God would help us to find unity. When we say Happy Reformation Day, we don't mean uh, happy history that created division. When we say that, we're saying that with anticipation that God can lead us to continued reform and toward unity. So let's stand and be dismissed with prayer. O Lord, our God, hearing the words of Christ again today, his prayer that we may all be one, we join ourselves with that prayer and we pray it ourselves. We pray it with each other and for each other. Please lead us to greater unity. During these times of great cultural division, may you grant us each the grace to be kind, to use our words well, and to be neighborly to those with whom we disagree about even important things. We pray that the unity of your church will be accomplished in such a way that everyone around us will be able to perceive the beauty of Christ and the beauty of his gospel. May you make this so among us today. We pray through Christ. Amen. Happy Reformation Day. You are dismissed. <laughs>